Praise God. Okay. Well, ladies, I am nervous and excited and thankful to be here and um, for this opportunity. Um, just quickly, I'm going to pray. Um, Lord, thank you for this opportunity and these ladies, and I please lead me by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So I... When reading through the book of Ephesians, which I love this book, and it's just, it's so deep, it's so rich that it was, it's overwhelming. You know, like there's so much in there. There's so many words that go together and you're like, what does this mean? And what does this mean? And you look them up and then you put them together and your mind is blown and it's just one verse. And, (laughs) um, And I just, I think of what stood out to me was in Ephesians 3, 8, where Paul says, I am less than the least of the saints and that is who I am before you today I mean I I think of who I was before my old man you know I came to Christ being a liar a thief a murderer an adulterer a coward hateful I mean just anything you name it tons of brokenness and baggage I came to Christ with and I'm a work in progress as we all are and through the years he has changed me more and more as he has walked with me and grown me in that relationship with him that I can say I'm not who I once was and praise God for that I don't want to go back there and um, you know the first and I'm a crier and uh, so I might cry but the first three chapters as Rose touched on too you know this is about what God has done for us this isn't what we did for ourselves All of these things are what God initiated. And something that I'm not smart enough to think of, but we read in this theology book, you know, God revealed himself to us. And this wasn't, oh, we thought about it one day and we saw and we were like, oh, hey, there must be a God. This is all God's idea. Salvation is God's idea. The church is God's idea. This is his plan, his story, what he has intended for the entirety of eternity and the human race you know this is all because of what he has done he is the one who wooed us in in the first place because who were we i mean i outside of christ i had no want for god i was completely content in my ignorance i was completely content there but he saw fit to draw me in and draw me near so this is all because of god's love that we are here this is what he has done um and so now we're looking at verse um, 1 of chapter 4 in Ephesians. So if you want to be with me, go there. And I can't guarantee we're going to get too far into the chapter. But, um, and I'm going to set my timer because I want to make sure that I'm honoring um, your time and and keeping it together. So we look at verse 1 and it says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling Uh, with which you were called. So this is written by the Apostle Paul through the inspiration of the Spirit, and he's writing to the church in Ephesus. Um, But as good Bible students, when we see therefore, we think, what's it therefore, right? And again, this is because of what God has done for us. In the first three chapters, this is covered. This is God's plan. This is what God has done for you. Um, And I look at that prayer, the beautiful prayer that's right before it in chapter 3 where 
Paul is saying, this is what I'm praying for you. I want you to know the love of Christ that is so wonderful and so big. It passes knowledge, but I want you to know it, so I'm praying this for you. And even more than this that stood out to me, this is the Holy Spirit who had given Paul the words to write this. So God, more than Paul, God wants us today to know his love for us because it's so expansive. I mean, I think of God's love for us, and I just, when I think of how high and how tall and how wide, I think of the cross. You know, what better display of love does anybody need than the cross? We come to God unworthy, and he calls us his child. You know, I mean, there's, it's the great exchange. There's nothing better than that. And um, so then I look at, there's, when Paul says, I, the prisoner of the Lord, that, that word prisoner just kept sticking out to me, and I was trying to get past it, but it, I couldn't. And the thing is, Paul was in prison when he wrote this by choice. It was his choice to be in prison for Christ because to him, there was nothing else. He was fully committed. He was apprehended by a spiritual force. Anybody get that reference? Okay, anyway. Uh, <laughs> Paul, this was his choice. He was in love with Christ. Um, he was fully committed. And we are living in a world that's getting darker and darker. I mean, you have to literally be blind not to see it. And even people in the world see it when they turn on the news. Like even those whose minds are blinded, they see that the world is getting darker and darker. Um, are we to that point? Are we settling in our hearts that we are willing to do whatever it takes for Christ because he has done all for us? I mean... That's a choice we can settle in our wills. Am I going to continue this no matter what? Because Christ is worth it. God's love is better than life. And I want to continue forward. Um, and I know that sometimes in the busyness of life, uh, that we're trying to keep practicing our spiritual disciplines, you know, and we have our prayer list. And we have our Bible reading plans. And sometimes they get dull. Um, and sometimes in our service, we get burnt out, and we're just, it's mundane. And that's because we're human, right? But we do these things. This is all a relationship with God, okay? And any time that we start to feel that our relationship is getting dull, like maybe we're reading and just there's nothing. And whatever, you know, maybe we're praying and it just feels dry, Whatever is going on, anytime you in a human relationship, in a valuable relationship to you, when it starts to get dry, when you realize there's like something wrong, you want to work on that, right? You know, you value that person, you love them, you want to do what you can to improve that relationship. So you start spending more time with them. You're more intentional. You start studying them. You, um, you sacrifice more time for them. And that's the same with God. God has given us this free relationship with him as his children. And so when we start to feel dull or burnt out, that just means we need to press more into the Father. We need to stay more submitted and at his feet and coming freely to the throne of mercy to find, well, the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. We need that. And we're not going to find that if we let the busyness take away. And I'm guilty of this. When I am busy, the first things to go in my old human nature are my time with God. 
it's the easiest thing to give up because our flesh hates it. But when we start to recognize that that's the old man, that is who I was, that wants to say, okay, I'm and this takes priority. I mean, even this morning, it was hard. It was like, oh, I want to look presentable. Oh, I've got to hurry up and get ready, and I slept in. And You know, it, it's hard to still make that time with God before the day begins, but it's valuable. I mean, Jesus calls us as Christians. He says, yes, we're adopted and we're loved, but Jesus said, if anyone who would come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me daily. This is a daily discipline to seek God. And we can't hope to seek, well, to live for God in a way that pleases him if we're not seeking him daily. We can't know God. We can't know the things of God. And we can't even hope to give God's love to other people if we're not first going to the source to be filled in so we can be poured out. There, I mean, you're either going to walk in the flesh or you're not. And you're... It's either walking in the flesh or walking in the spirit. Those are your choices as a Christian. And the spirit, walking in the spirit, it's exciting. You know, when we're walking in the spirit, God is orchestrating our lives and we can see it. We can see these details come into place that we didn't even know. I mean, if anybody knows me, they know that I'm horrible at planning. I mean, I'm um, horrible with time management. You can count on me to be late. That's how I am. But... My life is exciting at, when I'm walking in the Spirit because I see God orchestrate details, and it's like, thanks, God. You know, I didn't even know that was going to happen today. And you find divine appointments. You run across people and places um, that you didn't expect, and all of a sudden there's this conversation that starts, and it's a fellow believer, or maybe it's somebody who's hurting, and God just has use something in your life that he wants to use for them in that moment. And it's this divine appointment that God has orchestrated. And it all happened because you were simply going about your day, living for Jesus. And it happens. Now, going further, um, verse 2. Well, before I say that, um, Chuck Smith said in, uh, his, in a sermon on this chapter, he said, Walk as children of God. You know, don't walk as children of the devil anymore because you spent too much time doing that. And for me, I spent 26 years before I finally said, okay, God, I'm yours. You know, it took 26 years of me being ignorant and content in my ignorance. And so Christ is worthy. You know, we just seek God. Go for it. Don't we have this opportunity to walk as children of God because that's who we are now. Um, and then in verse 2, it says, with all lowliness. I want to touch on this specifically because lowliness is it's meekness, it's humility. And there is this false doctrine in the church right now that says we are worthy of the gospel. Um, if we were worthy, then we could have died for ourselves. And that's the facts of it. Um, and if we're worthy, if we are told that we're worthy and we come to God, then why would we say, yeah, I'm, I want to deny myself and pick up my cross and follow you? In our human nature, we're going to actually weigh out our options. You know, I, I don't really like this sacrificing and putting somebody else's needs ahead of mine. I'm naturally very selfish. So if that's what Christ is calling me to do and I'm worthy... 
I'm going to check out the other options. So keep that in mind. I mean, we have been forgiven so much. We've been forgiven so much. And not only have we, as our past erased, our future is secure. It's, and it's provided for. And our present is provided for. And so this is something that if you hear this, you know it's false. And I had, there were, in 2009, I don't know how many years ago, but no, it was 2010. There was a pastor who was well-meaning. Um, had I was, you know, we'd had this prayer meeting. I was outside of Christ. It was very awkward for me because not a Christian, you know. And um, and he said I was crying. He goes, "Why are you crying?" I said, "Because I'm not worthy." And he had an opportunity right there to give me the gospel, but instead he had believed that lie, and he said, "No, you are worthy." And I do think, you know, anytime somebody says, comes to that point where they realize they're not worthy for Christ, they are ripe for the gospel. They are ripe to receive Christ, to be told, hey, no, you know, we're not good enough, but this is what God did for you because he loves you, because he values you, because he wants you. He desires us. He desires a relationship with us. Um, and then going on in verse two, it says, with, well, and gentleness with long-suffering. So long-suffering, that's suffering long. You know, we're the body of Christ, and we're, but yet we're still people, right? And people get peopley, and we step on each other's toes, and we easily offend each other because we have personality differences. We come from different backgrounds. And so offenses can easily arise. And in our flesh, it's so easy to get offended, to get on our high horse and say, why'd you say that to me? Or why did you look at me that way? Um, or I didn't like your tone of voice. And a, a lot of times, the person who offends you doesn't even realize they did it. They, you know, they just, they were being their peopley self, and here you are being your peopley self, and we clash. And that's what happens. And so this is, long-suffering is, it's a fruit of the Spirit, actually. When God is working in and through you with his spirit, he will produce that long-suffering in you so that you are slow to anger, so that you have grace to give others that instead of, oh, why'd she look at me like that? You have that grace to say, wow, I bet my sister's having a hard day. I wonder what's wrong with her. So it turns the focus off of me onto them so I can love them. That's what long-suffering does. And then that goes into endeavoring, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Endeavoring has this idea of it's diligent, you make haste, you don't wait. There is no being a pro at procrastinating when you're endeavoring because it is important to you. It is something that you value, so you work hard for it. Um, it says endeavoring, why are we working hard? What are we make, being diligent to do? It's to keep the unity of the spirit. This is the unity that God provides for us. He's already given it. Uh, we just, our job is to maintain it, to keep it going, to not let offenses build up. And if you do have an offense that's building up, first pray about it. And then if after praying about it and, you know, seeking God about it, if you're just not settled, talk to the person. You know, I'm a recovering people pleaser. I do not like confrontation, and I will do anything I can to avoid it. But that being said, 
there are times when I cannot avoid it, when it is just bubbling up and it's starting to corrupt me, when that I just, I realize that it's starting to affect my motives, when it's starting to change my heart to where I'm being deceived by my own heart. God tells us, he warns us, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all else. Who can know it? We cannot know our own hearts. We are deceived by our hearts. That's why God says, don't follow your hearts. The world says, follow your hearts. God does not. But God knows our hearts. So then when we go to God, God revealed to me, you know, the intents of my heart. He does. God's the one who reveals our sin to us. His kindness, he leads us to repentance. Um, But we don't want to let something fester inside of us that fights against the unity. And I've got my Bible marked, so if you'd like, you can turn with me. Um, But in John chapter 17, verse 20, before Jesus goes to the I'm not exactly sure in the place of Holy Week when this happens, but Jesus prays this beautiful prayer for us. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they will be as one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. So God's heart is unity. You know, we're we're the body of Christ, and we're to love each other and be this wonderful family that's so different from the whole world, so different from our families at home unless our families are Christians, you know, so different. And unity is important. And why is that unity important? Because that the world may know Christ. If we are letting division creep in, we're going to bring shame to the name of Christ. And that's the name that we claim. That's the name that we're called by. That's the name um, that we represent. We're his ambassadors. And so if we're holding on to anything, to anything, then we're going to just work against that unity. Um, So then going on, we talk about the gifts of the Spirit. So before I get into these, um, well, not before, the gifts of the Spirit, these are different than the fruit of the Spirit. So the gifts of the Spirit are what God gives us to do, right? But the gifts of the, or the fruit of the Spirit is what God produces in us and through us, right? So that's like the effect. Um, when Jesus rose on the third day, well, not when he rose on the third day, but when he went to heaven, he ascended. Part of his ascension was he sent the Holy Spirit to us. He said, I won't leave you as orphans, and he sent us, us the Holy Spirit, and he distributed gifts to us so that we could be the church and could operate. And these gifts are not to promote individualism. So it's not the me show. It's not living to make my name great. It's so that we can complement each other, so that we can work together and be this beautiful family and reflect Christ. And some of the gifts, this is not an exhaustive list, are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. The pastor teacher in the section, from my understanding, from what I've read, is actually one. So there's four gifts listed here. Um, There's more gifts listed in Romans 12. There's more gifts listed in 1 Corinthians 12. And God has gifted all of us. So when you receive the gift of salvation, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then you receive the gifts of the Spirit to operate as the body of Christ, right? And this is why. 
I want to read from the NLT because it's just user-friendly in this, I think. Um, and I'm looking at verse 12 of chapter 4. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So we're given gifts to be used by God to bless others so that they can grow in their walk with Christ and then in turn be an active, party, uh, an active part of the body of Christ. And I have this quick... Um, this instance example that I want to give. So in, there are times in life when I call them living parables where I'll just be living life day to day and there will be something that happens in my life and it brings, like the Holy Spirit reminds me of something in the word and it's like, wow, and it makes it real for me. So I was, um, in the fall, I went with my younger daughter. We went to a volleyball game uh, and it was a high school game. So they were really good, like really good. And I'm watching these girls play, and not a, not a church event at all, right? And these girls are playing, and I started to tear up and cry because of just the love among them, how they were working together. They were setting each other up for success. They were anticipating each other's needs. They were anticipating the attack of the enemy team. Like they had each other's backs, here would come something and one would hit it and then they'd hit it to the other person so that they could get the winning shot instead of going for themselves. And I just think, wow, you know, that's what the church is supposed to be like. That's what we're supposed to be like. And so I just, I thought about this, but I'm not going to have you do it. If you look around this room, these are your sisters in Christ. You know, these are who God has given you. And we, we can be a team together. We can be better than a volleyball team because we have Christ. And yes, those team sports, also good. But the difference between a sports team and the church, we have the Holy Spirit. They don't. And we can be something that's just so beautiful, that is working together, that's without pride and pretense, that's without, I'm going to put on my Sunday face and go in and look and talk a certain way and then be somebody else throughout the week. Or I'm not going to share this hurt that's in my heart because I don't want anybody else to know how messed up I am. You know, we don't have to be like that. And we also don't have to be, this isn't going to work if we're, if we're rooted in individualism, if we're looking out for number one. You know, if you're, if when something good happens and you're like, I need the credit for that, you're going to be fighting against that. And that's what, not what we're called to do. And so um, that is all I have for you today and time for you today, ladies. So thank you for your time. God bless you.